WBCA Radio is proud to present City Talk, where fascinating conversation is alive and well, with your host, Boston Radio veteran, Ken Meyer. Hello again, everybody. Welcome again to City Talk. And it's a pleasure to welcome an old friend, at least he's beginning to be one. (laughs) Uh, And if you like TV Westerns, you are going to curl up next to your computer and love this discussion. Uh, His name is Jim Rosen, and he has written a fabulous revised book on wagon train. But before we get to that, uh, Jim, you also wrote a book uh, on Nehemiah Persoff, whom you've talked to me about. Did you want to discuss that for a minute? Yeah, um, uh, I I actually published it. uh, he was my cousin. Uh, he passed away on April the 6th at age 102. He was the, uh, Nehemiah Persoff was the oldest living character actor in Hollywood, uh, having appeared in, uh, I guess, 40 films, uh, maybe 225 TV shows, guest starring in all of them, you know, episodic television, uh, TV movies, and so forth. He was also a veteran of the Broadway stage. He worked with everybody, you know, all the iconic uh, actors, uh, John Wayne, Humphrey Bogart, James Cagney, uh, Alan Ladd, Glenn Ford. You know, he he just was, um, he was a, a wonderful actor who uh, played a diverse uh, variety of characters. And uh, he was... Uh, a uh, very, very close friend, and in, in addition to being distantly related, a very close friend for over 50 years. So I had always um, kept after him to to write his, his memoirs because he had so many stories. And he also had a very rich history coming from Jerusalem, where he was born and raised the first nine years of his life, and then, you know, uh, getting on a ship with his family and going to New York City. And, uh, you know, ultimately he, he worked in the subway as a signalman and then he was admitted to the actor studio and, uh, he began his career. His first, uh, uh, job was a, uh, and movies was a uh, small part in on the waterfront in that much imitated cab driver scene between Marlon Brando and Rod Steiger. So he was surrounded by, um, great company and he was, uh, very versatile and, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. Um, it, it really has a lot of uh, humanity in it, humor. There's poignancy. And it's not just a book about dropping names. It's a book about um, the culture clash she experienced coming from Palestine, which was, you know, later became Israel. It was the British mandate of Palestine when he lived there. And uh, the experience in this conflict with the people in Brooklyn, where his family settled, which were who were very different from the people in uh, in Israel. So uh, the book has just... all that, and and uh, it's his memoirs, and uh, I call it memoirs rather than autobiography. I published it, and it's available for purchase online. You took the words right out of my mouth. All right, yeah. now wagon train. It started yes, in 19, 1957. Uh-huh. Uh, television, television was a lot different, and I think better. Uh, there were three networks, NBC, uh-huh. CBS, and ABC, 
You had panel shows like What's My Line? I Got a Secret mm-hmm. to Tell the Truth. You had mm-hmm. westerns like uh, uh, Restless Gun, Zorro, Lawman, you name it. And then along came Wagon Train. But tell us how the whole thing got started, whose idea it was, how difficult was it to sell it to NBC, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, as you say, Wagon Train debuted on uh, in 1957 on Wednesday night. It was that aired uh, from 7.30 to 8.30. And the, the, the television series itself was initially inspired by the 1950 John Ford film Wagon Master. And that movie starred uh, Ben Johnson and Harry Carey Jr. and uh, Ward Bond. And that movie concerned a group of Mormons led by Elder Wiggs, who was portrayed by Ward Bond as they uh, traveled through the 1840s Utah Territory in search of a new home. And it was uh, the two uh, horse traders, uh, Ben Johnson and Harry Carey, who uh, kind of functioned as um, wagon master and guide, respectively. And they were perfectly cast, those two, because they were very, very fine horseback riders in the film industry. In fact, Ben Johnson was probably known as the best, you know. And from that, from that, um, that movie came the inspiration to do Wagon Train, uh, oh, I don't know, let's see, maybe seven years later, uh, Review Studios which was a division then of the MCA, Musical Corporation of America, they produced a lot of late 1950s television series, some of which you mentioned, but others such as Alfred Hitchcock Presents and Leave it to Beaver, Tales of Wells Fargo with Dale Robertson, Restless Gun, as you mentioned, with John Payne, uh, Cimarron City with uh, George Montgomery and John Smith and Audrey Totter, uh, Mike Hammer with Darren McGavin, uh, Riverboat, which came after Mike Hammer with Darren McGavin and Burt Reynolds, and and Laramie, which was with Robert Fuller and uh, and John Smith, uh, and of course Bob later came to Wagon Train the final two years. Anyway, Ward Bond was cast as um, Major Seth Adams, who was this retired uh, U.S. Army officer who guided the wagon train on the journey west from St. Joseph, Missouri to Sacramento, California. And he had been a supporting actor in just about every movie you could name. Um, Some very memorable movies, uh, like It Happened One Night and Go On With The Wind, Grapes of Wrath, Maltese Falcon, Gentleman Jim, It's a Wonderful Life. And then he did a lot of movies with John Wayne because they were friends. They were college buddies and football on the football team together uh like the quiet man he played the priest in that uh the searchers uh operation pacific you know uh uh rio bravo uh he was a perfect choice for the uh, role of seth adams because he was a, a, a huge man burly temperamental no nonsense uh, a no-nonsense authority figure, 
And he was also very concerned and caring individual, despite his sometimes uh, gruff nature. So he was a perfect, perfect. And then Robert Horton was cast as the other lead role, as Flint McCullough, uh, this young, brash, and self-assured wagon train scout. And Horton had worked in uh, in, in movies. Um, he was in... Uh, a number of lower budget films at MGM where he was under contract. And then uh, uh, he later auditioned for Wagon Train uh, and won, won the role. Uh, he was a handsome guy, very lean, and he had a lot of charm and self confidence. And the two of them were um, like uh, Gable and Tracy, uh, they were two very different individuals. Uh, extremely different and who really didn't relate at all but on camera uh, they had this wonderful rapport and I, I remember Bob telling me years later he, he would say to me you know we had a we we were like Gable and Tracy he said he'd be yelling at me as I rode away from him you know um, and uh, Ward Bond also recruited two close friends of his who had been stuntmen in a lot of the John Ford films, uh, Terry Wilson and Frank McGrath. Wilson played like the assistant wagon master, uh, Bill Hawks, and then Frank McGrath uh, was the little guy with the, the grubby-looking little guy with the beard who was the cook. He played Charlie Wooster. And they were very, very uh, close uh, buddies of Ward Bond, and uh, they their characters developed and became a very important part of the supporting cast. And that's basically how it started. Um, I can go on, but do you have any questions at this point? No, I'm I'm enjoying every bit of it. Um, tell me about some of the more meaningful episodes. It's interesting that they. They did do the, you know, I'll get this right yet. Did they do these episodes all on location? Well, they shot on location. They shot at the studio. I would say during the first couple of years, uh, they shot more, uh, uh, several years, they shot more on location uh, than they did later on. Uh, particularly, they shot a lot in the very beginning of the, the season, uh, you know, what, what, when they were preparing uh, for the beginning of the uh, the season, they would they would purposely uh, go out and do a lot of location filming, and then they would insert, of course, uh, second unit footage into future episodes. But um, they had an area uh, west of the studio. Uh, the first several years, Wagon Train was shot at uh, at Review Studios, which I think is now called CBS Studio Center in Studio City. That's where they operated from. And then they later moved to Universal uh, in Universal City. But uh, they would average, I guess, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> if you had a seven-day shoot for one episode, which is customary, when I have to drink a little bit of water here for some reason, I have a, a bug in my throat. Hold on a second. Wait a minute. Go right ahead. Go right ahead, by all means. Sorry about that. Anyway, they had a uh, 
They had Jack customarily, customarily one episode was filmed in about six to seven days. They shot 39 episodes. And, uh, you know, you had like 48, 49 minutes of film. Uh, if, if you isolated it to that extent, you know, taking out the, the introduction, the, the teaser, the commercials, and the end credits. And um, there was an area west of L.A., west of the valley, in the West Valley, there was Camarillo, there was Agoura, there was Westlake, and there was a lot of territory where you could drive off the road, and all of a sudden you 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 <laughs> you experienced all these rolling plains and rolling hills and rolling hills, just say, and plains and no telephone poles and no tall buildings and no shopping centers. And you would think you were, you know, somewhere between St. Joe, Missouri and uh, Sacramento, California. Uh, now, it's, it's it's interesting. So that's where they shot. Yeah, they shot a lot of the footage out there. It's interesting to note that in this time, television had only been in existence for about eight years, maybe eight or nine years, starting in like 48, 49 you look right. back at those shows and marvel at how well they were done in that length of time in the early days of TV? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. The you know the the stories were morality uh, tales about the relationships between people and and uh, which people which the viewers could identify with and appreciate. That was the strong point. Uh, it was not just to shoot them up, and uh, the, uh, the the series would customarily uh, uh, show an episode with the person's name as the title, like you know the the uh, <laughs> you 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 you'd see a title that would say uh, the Bettina May story. Or you would see a, a show that said the, the Beauty Jameson story, the Dick Richardson story, or the Kitty Angel story. And um, mostly every week it was the, the episode was titled after a person's name, and that was the protagonist. And it involved their, you know, their, their conflict and their relationships on the train. And... Uh, <clears throat> It, it 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 created a very good storyline. Um, so going back to what I said before, uh, <clears throat> they would film out in that area west of L.A., which I talked about. <clears throat> they customarily in in the, the second unit footage, you know, you would see a lot of stock shots. Uh, if you really counted the wagons, you may have counted eleven or twelve wagons in a long shot and that was about it there i don't think there was ever very much more than that of all in the storyline there was supposedly 200 i think 200 wagons on the train you know mm. <laughs> but something like that but uh, you know for for the uh, uh the introductory shots you'd see about maybe 11 or 12 and those are shots they used 
repeatedly throughout the uh, the eight years this, this series was on. And then uh, for closer angle shots, sometimes you would see, you know, four, five, six wagons. And a lot of the times, you know, you had Wranglers there. And for the people listening who don't know what Wranglers are, Wranglers on a, a Western set were, of course, you know, a lot of experienced uh, cowboys who who uh, knew horses and and uh, worked on had worked on ranches maybe in their younger days, and uh, they would handle the horses on the set and they would also uh, drive the wagon sometimes. For close-ups, you would have the uh, principal actors, but uh, for anything involving action, um, you know, a lot, a lot of the stuntmen. Driving the wagons were were wranglers, uh, and sometimes even you would have actors that maybe were a little bit timid about driving the wagons in a, in a shot, and you would see them driving it, but the reins would actually be going through their hands into the back and be in the hands of the wrangler, who were called mm. blind drivers. So... Um, you know, it varied according to the actor and the actress and, and, and the shot. But Frank McGrath, for example, uh, who played Charlie Wooster, was a stuntman like Terry Wilson was, as I mentioned. And the, <laughs> if you, you watch some of the older Westerns, you 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 see the runaway wagon with the with the woman uh, wearing the, the bonnet and uh, the long dress. That wasn't a woman. That was probably Frank. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> so, interesting. Driving the wagon, yeah. Yeah, but they were a great asset, those two, because mm. they were uh, Ward Bond's drinking buddies, and, uh, you know, they, they really became like a camp. There was the Bond, uh, uh, Terry Wilson and Frank McGrath were in one camp, and Robert Horton was kind of... Uh, uh, alone uh, in the other camp. You know, they were not off camera. They were not buddy buddy with him. Uh, no, they, they I, were two very different individuals. But uh, they were they. But, but the most important thing is, they were very, a very very uh, uh, compatible on camera. They had a great chemistry. And when uh, <clears throat> Wardbond died in the early part of the fourth year, he had a heart attack in Texas at a football game, um, you know, they they eventually brought in John McIntyre to replace him. And uh, I think actually Robert Horton lobbied for John McIntyre to, to be a, a replacement. Uh, he was a fine actor, and he uh, had a very good uh, uh, relationship with, with Bob Horton. But on screen there was there was no chemistry between those two in my opinion and 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 they did not have the relationship that uh, uh Ward Bond and Robert Horton had uh, you know with this uh, rascal of a frontier scout and this boisterous uh, temperamental wagon master you know uh he it, Ward Bond was a very uh colorful uh personality you know john mcintyre who was a very fine actor 
very fine actor, and who did a very good job as Chris Hale, the wagon master, in the remaining five years, uh, four years, whatever he, whatever his time remaining was on the show. Um, he 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 was not. He didn't have the personality type that Ward Bond had that really worked in the uh, in the, in the show. So my favorite time of the show was the first uh, four years. Uh, Robert Horton stayed for the fifth year. His contract was up, and then he left. Uh, he he uh, he wanted to do musical theater. He had been doing musical theater. Uh, in his hiatus, during his hiatus time. That's how he met his wife, Marilee. She was an actress. And uh, he had he did not want to come back. He didn't want to do it anymore. And uh, he had uh, these theatrical aspirations, you know, to work on stage. And uh, they tried everything in the world to keep him. Uh, they were offered him a huge amount of money and because he really was the driving force in the show. He was the most popular because he was the leading man. In the fifth year, this is interesting, in the fourth year, third year, second year, when it was Bond and Horton, the show was always in the, the top ten several years in a row. It was number two behind Gunsmoke. In the yeah, fifth year... Yeah, in the fifth I've year it was number. Story. Yeah, in the fifth year, <laughs> it was number one. When Horton left the show, the, the, in the sixth year, it dropped to, I think, number twenty-five in the Nielsen ratings. Oh, that's amazing. And then in the seventh year, um, they decided, uh, oh, this is also unheard of. NBC at the end of the fifth year, when Robert Horton left the show. They dropped the series, even though it was the number one rated show. They dropped mm. it because they were fearful that it wouldn't it, it wouldn't have the appeal without him. Now, Denny Miller had come into the show in the middle of the fourth year as Duke Shannon. He was like a secondary scout, and they were building his part up. And he took he took over in the sixth season as the scout. And then in the seventh season, they they, had, they went to 90 minutes filmed in color to hopefully boost the sagging ratings because they got the idea that the, of the, from the Virginian, which was being filmed at Universal, which was a 90-minute show in color and was had taken the, the time slot of Wagon Train. So And they were at the same studio. So uh, ABC picked up the show in the sixth year and in the seventh year decided to do a 90 minute show in color. And they were able to lure a lot of, uh, bigger name guest stars who I guess thought television was beneath them at the time and expand the story content. And, uh, there were some very good episodes. They filmed, I think 26 or maybe 32. I'm sorry. They filmed 32. The final year they filmed 26. So, uh, they filmed less than they customarily had filmed before, uh, but the ratings did not improve. So in the eighth year, in the eighth season, after the seventh season, which was 90 minutes in color, they went back to black and white and one hour. And that's basically the history of the show. Um, eight years, uh, 
five on NBC, uh, three the final three years on ABC. Uh, it really was a uh, a wonderful series uh, about people traveling from St. Louis, Missouri, to California in search of uh, a better life. You know, and and the the conflict and the the problems they endured along the the trail in terms of the weather and uh, Native Americans that may have uh, that may have been hostile toward them. Uh, I think too that they painted the Native American population sometimes in a very sympathetic light, because uh, which was a good thing. Because as you look back at it now, uh, you know the concept of uh, a shoot 'em up with with Indians is kind of jaundiced, you know. And and not and not uh, entirely true. Uh, the Native American population was here first, and there were a lot of peaceful, peaceful loving people that uh, just wanted to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, left alone and 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 live out in the uh, wilderness uh, and just practice their 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 culture and their customs and. Uh, and uh, not not have conflict, but there was there was you know there was conflict too between the cavalry and the uh, Native Americans. But I I, um, I appreciated the episodes where they uh, they they they, uh, they they treated the Native American population as, as, uh, with humanity, and and the characters' point of view, uh, their perspective in these particular episodes was emphasize the humanity, you know, and uh, that we're all human beings and that we deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. And, uh, um, but I was very happy to do the book. Um, I, I did talk to Bob Horton, who was still alive then, uh, Denny Miller, who was still alive then, of course, and uh, Denny became a very good friend. Uh, ditto for Bob Fuller, who was still with us and still a, still a friend. Um, and then a lot of the guest stars, I was very lucky. Um, I talked to uh, Deborah Paget, who did, uh, she did, uh, two episodes. I talked to uh, Donna Winter, a lovely, uh, lovely lady, uh, who appeared in several, uh, Morgan Woodward, who I think, gosh, he, he must've done. I think 11 or 12 episodes. He played all kinds of different characters. Uh, I talked to uh, John Wilder, who became a very well-known uh, producer on TV uh, uh, of uh, the streets of San Francisco and also uh, the Centennial, which was a wonderful miniseries that Universal did in the late 70s. He was yep. in several. Um, I talked to... Uh, I'm trying to think who else I talked to. How about uh, June Lockhart? I never talked to her. Uh, Morgan Wood, uh, uh, after Morgan Woodward, I know Warren Stevens I talked to, who was uh, uh, a veteran actor. He did he did several. Um, all these people did multiple episodes. Diane Foster was a beautiful lady. Uh, she was in a two-parter. She did a lot of uh, movies and TV. Uh, Peter Brown I talked to. Peter, of course, was uh, on Lawman. Lawman, yeah. John Russell, and then he was uh, uh, on that, that show about the Texas Rangers with Bill Smith and 
Neville Brand. Uh, <coughs> he was helpful. I talked to Tommy Sands, oh, wow. who had started out as a recording artist. He did yep. a 90-minute episode with Peter Falk, which they shot up in the mountains and near above Bakersfield. Uh, Audrey Dalton, uh, still with us. She's a terrific lady. She originally came from Ireland. Uh, she did a number of uh, episodes. Uh, I talked to Ernie Borgnine, who was a wonderful man. I'll tell you a funny story about Ernie. Um, he was in the the uh, actually the first the first one shown. Really, I think it was yeah. Uh, it was because he had won the Academy Award for the movie Marty, so he was in the limelight, and um, he <laughs> because he was in the first one shown. Um, he he he. He got notice when he was doing McHale's Navy at Universal that Wagon Train was coming to an end and that they were filming one of the last episodes. So during a break from the action, he went up to Howard Christie's office, who was the producer, and he said, Howard, you're you're wrapping up the show. He said, yeah, we're, this is it. He said, well, I got to be in the final episode. I was in I was in the first one. They sh the first one shown. He said, well, Ernie, it's already cast. The only thing left is there's a part of this older Indian, you know, who has one line, something like that. And Ernie says, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, during, so during time off from shooting Mikhail's Navy, he went, he went to the set. They, they put a wig on him and uh, uh, some big blanket and maybe a hat or something. I don't know. And you couldn't tell it was him. And he was in the scene. He had one line, and <laughs> that was was Ernie. But he had done several. He had done, I think, three episodes uh, during the course of the run. So he wanted to be. And I don't know. It was if it was. I don't think it was the last one shown, but it it may it was one of the last ones filmed. So um, he was a terrific man. I I dearly. Uh, loved Ernest Borgnine. He really, uh, he was very down to earth. Another very colorful actor that contributed was L.Q. Jones. L.Q. Jones was, has been a, uh, terrific character actor, uh, God for some 50, 60 years, you know, he's still with us. He's up in his eighties, I guess, late eighties, I guess I would think, but he, um, he did. He did quite a bit. He was also a semi-regular on the later on the Virginian. Um, his real name was Justice McQueen, and he took the name of L.Q. Jones because that was his character's name in uh, in a movie, in a war movie that he did uh, early in his career. Uh, 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 Jimmy Lydon was also a, a, a character actor that contributed to the book. Uh, he had done uh, a number of episodes. He was uh, uh, he was in a series of movies in the early '40s. I think he played Henry Aldrich, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But he had been around, and he's still still with us. He's in his 90s now. Uh, uh, James Brown was uh, actually Audrey Dalton's husband. He was the assistant director on a lot of the shows at Universal. At review previously, 
and uh, he worked on wagon train quite a bit the first two or three years as the first AD, and he was helpful in providing information. Um, but those are some of the people that I talked to. Joe Pevney yeah. was also uh, a movie director that became a, a TV director later in his years. He was originally an actor in movies in the, in the late 1940s. Um, he uh, he did though he did a lot of uh, wagon train episodes. He he was uh, he was a very good uh, uh, contributor to the book. You know, he talked about some of the shows he did. So. I was very fortunate, you know, as yeah. as, as I, I tell you about these people, it's a good cross section of uh of actors, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad to hear you talk about Ernest Borgnine. I read his oh, autobiography yeah. and uh-huh. uh, actually he was on one night with Morgan White, who has interviewed you before. And uh, Morgan, I yeah. Called, I called in and said hello to him and told him how much I enjoyed McHale's Navy and Mm-hmm. I th- I thought then that boy, there's one guy I would have loved to have met. I really enjoyed yeah, him. yeah. He was great. He you know when I first met him, he said, "I said, Mr. Borgman, I said, wait a minute, you're Jim, right?" I said, "Yes." <laughs> well, I'm Ernie. <laughs> he did a, he did a movie with my my cousin Nehemiah Persoff, uh, uh the three of them, he and Alan Ladd, uh, called the Badlanders, and. Uh, it was a good movie in 1958. I think it was the first movie that Nick uh, called my cousin Nick. Yeah, uh, <laughs> my Nick. Um, he um, that was his first movie western that he did, um, uh, working with Ernie. And and uh, years later, when I when I told him that uh, Nick was my cousin, he goes, "He's your cousin." Oh, oh my God! How is he? How would I, I want to talk to him? Um, do you have do you have his address? I said, yeah, I have his address. And well, give me his address. I said, well, okay. I was puzzled, you know. What do you want his address? So a week or so later, I'm talking to Nick on the phone, and I said, you know, I talked to Ernest Borgnine when I was researching the book, and he was uh, excited to hear from you, uh, to hear about you. I said. Uh, I, I, I got a big kick out of that. He said, I know. I, I got a letter from him yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so he wrote Nikki a letter, which I thought was kind of cute, was kind of funny, you know. But he was a, he was a prince of a man. Um, I'm really I'll glad tell you to another hear guy that. It was great, a great guy. I, I, I loved him. He, uh, I was in an acting group with his daughter, uh, uh, when I lived in LA, an acting company for about a year, uh, Melinda, I think, uh, Harry Carey Jr. Harry Carey Jr. Uh, of course was the son of Harry Carey and he worked with, uh, you know, in a lot of the John Wayne films as did his father and uh, his mother, his mother, Olive Carey was in the searchers as well. And, uh, he did a number of wagon train episodes, but he was very interesting to talk to about his, what it was like to work with John Ford and, uh, his relationship with, uh, with Wayne and, and, uh, and doing wagon train, uh, now, terrific if, guy. If I'm not mistaken, he was also in the Walt Disney spin and Marty, uh, episodes yes, he was. Yeah. as, um, Bill Burnett. 
the counselor. Yeah, from I the forget wars. the character's name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was um, a prolific actor. He really he had a wonderful career. He and, had a good uh, singing voice too, as I recall. Well, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Oh. Yeah. Well, and his I father because... was. Uh, yeah. What were you going to say? I I know because there's a, there's a couple episodes or in the in the Spin and Marty series where he sings oh. and supposedly plays the guitar, and he was very good. Mm. Very good. Yeah, I, it's I, interesting. I got quite a kick he, he, uh, out of it. Yeah, him yeah. and Roy Barcroft. Uh, were oh in yeah, the, I, I remember him. Yeah, he was in everything too. He had quite yeah, a career. he was. Yeah. Yeah, he but was, anyway, but that's a, that's a that that's pretty much an overview of the series. I don't know what else more I could tell you unless you had questions about it. I, uh, um, I as I look through the book, um, I was very happy to uh, to do it. You know, uh, you put everything together. Um, the theme music I love too. I would tell you about that. Uh, the oh, first yeah. year, I, I like the. I we've discussed this before. But I liked the song. There was a song with words to it. Wagon train, roll along. I yeah, loved that it. Yeah, that was called Roll Along Wagon Train. Yeah, it was it was written by two men, Sammy Fain and Jack Brooks. That was but that was short lived. That was the second year. That was a more modern sounding theme that they introduced, but I don't think it went over big. Uh in fact halfway through it they cut out the song and just did the <laughs> instrumental. The first, the 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 original um, wagon train theme was written by two men, Henry Rene and Bob Russell, and that was a a wonderful theme. It was very traditional. It was a beautiful theme, and it would play at the end of uh, each episode. Uh, but then the second year, they decided to go more contemporary, and they did the roll along, and I think it was Johnny O'Neill. It was a good voice who yeah. sang the song, but it just. It it was I think it was too contemporary, and then the third year they introduced the theme that would stay for the rest of the run, for the remaining six years, and that was the wagon train theme, and yep. uh, that was that was uh, and there were variations, but it was the same theme. Uh, no. They just remastered it and whatever you know did a variation after when they got into the later years. That was the most uh, popular theme. Yeah. Um, it was more traditional, more traditional sounding as well. It was called Wagon's Ho, yeah. Because when you look back at some other shows, like uh, you mentioned Gunsmoke earlier, they had the same theme for 25 years on television. I mean, they, <clears throat> they, they changed it. I mean, it got to be a, a little more lively and a little peppier as, you know. They yeah, there were variations of it, yeah. yeah. But it was variations. still the same theme. Yes, and, uh -huh. and the same with uh, with Perry Mason. That that theme lasted nine years. Yeah, that and, was a great theme. Yeah. yeah, and they they didn't they do used anything. It, to they that. used it again on the uh, when the when they uh, reintroduced the series years later. Yep, and did the two hour movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Me TV is showing those now on Sunday nights at eight o'clock. Mm -hmm. um, now. I I actually remember watching an episode. I don't remember all the particulars, but I watched an episode when it was on the network with June Lockhart in it. Yes. Do you, yes. Do you happen to do you happen to remember that episode? 
Yeah, that was a, an episode uh, during the the first season. Uh, that was kind of a controversial episode because that involved uh, a rape and uh, 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 and then the husband's uh, reaction to it. It was uh, very controversial because it was uh, it involved a Native American. And then the husband didn't want to have anything to do with his wife because uh, it was not his baby. And uh, and then uh, uh, Flint McCullough gets involved because he's uh, he takes shelter from the storm with the couple. And then he gets involved. He finds himself involved in this bitter relationship between the two. And then to repay their hospitality, he makes an effort to bring them together. Uh, June Lockhart, and then had good actors in it. Gene Evans played her husband, her jealous husband. And uh, William Talman, who you talk about Perry Mason, was yep. uh, was on Perry attorney. Mason for many years. He always lost the case, but he, yeah. he kept coming back for more. He was uh, a friend of theirs. Uh, it was called the Sarah Sarah Drummond story. Yeah. That was uh, later a later episode in the first season, yeah. Now, I just finished reading a book. I mean, I'm going completely off the track here. But I just finished reading a book by Karen Grassley, who was in yes. Little House on the Prairie. And yes. a lot of it was devoted to contract squabbles with the network. Did any of these problems affect Wagon Train? I don't think so. I, I, there's a funny story um, that uh, Howard Christie's uh, son told me, because he had passed away, about a contract problem um, between uh, Ward Bond and the producer. But the thing is, it didn't involve Ward Bond. It involved Frank McGrath and uh, Terry Wilson. And uh, I guess... I don't know if it was during the uh, third season, maybe, or fourth season. Uh, but <clears throat> Howard Christie was a very uh, kind, uh, considerate man. He had been a football player. You know, he was a big man. And and uh, he was someone that very seldom got angry and or upset, you know. And his son said he would always come through the door with a smile. And, um, you know, he loved what he did and he loved the people that he worked with and he had his disputes with the studio, but he was always able to work them out in an amicable manner. So this is a, this is a, an interesting story. I guess about the third year of the series, Ward Bond was feeling his oats as the star of the show. So one day he gets into a bitter argument with Howard Christie about Frank McGrath or Terry Wilson getting a salary raise. So Howard Christie was a gentleman, of course, as I said. Uh, but I believe Bond was a bit relentless in his pursuit. So at one point, Christie says to Ward Bond, he says, look, Ward, this is none of your business. I'm the producer, and I'll determine who gets a raise and who doesn't. Well, it went on for several days, and finally, Howard Christie decided that he had to put a stop to it. So he went to the wardrobe department and he got an identical Ward Bond Wagon Master outfit, complete with hat, 
holster, gun, you name it. He put it on. He went to the set, and he walked up to Ward Bond and said, all right, if you want to be the producer, I'll be the wagon master. <laughs> well, Bond broke up, and from then on, uh, Howard Christie never had a problem being the producer or with Ward Bond being the wagon master. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a great story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's more. You know, Rob, I'll tell you another good one. Uh, Bob Fuller uh, loved to, uh, to to stay active. He, uh, you know, he didn't like to sit around. So um, <laughs> he... Uh, Toward the toward the end of the series, uh, they were they were uh, shooting the show, and uh, in particular, you know, because he came in the seventh year, um, they were they were in Kanab, Utah, because in the seventh year they would you know they would go uh, to Kanab to uh, shoot. For example, in the opening credits. Um, they added a lot of new color footage in Utah for their seventh year, right? So they would bring in a busload of extras, and they various shots were filmed of the travelers coming across the mountain, through the woods, crossing the stream, and they would use three or four wagons with camera angles, giving the illusion of more Conestogas behind them, right? And they repeated this process in every location they went to, always shooting right to left. This was due to the fact that if you look on a map and pointed to California, you'd be traveling right to left. Anyway, uh, Bob Fuller uh, was an actor who loved being involved in a lot of the scenes being filmed when he wasn't a part of them. So they, they were in Kanab where they needed Native Americans for a raiding party in this scene. So they, they used every Native American kid they could find in the nearby high school. The problem was that, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of them couldn't ride. Yes. As they came down the hill, they were blinded by red clay dust, and they fell off their horses and got hurt. Uh-oh. So Bob came to work that afternoon, and he saw the number of, I- of Native Americans had dwindled. So... <laughs> He put on an Indian wig and a costume. He jumped on a horse, and he was a very good horseman, Bob Fuller. Excellent. Jumped on a horse and joined the raiding party. He probably rode in about three shots before the director, uh, William Whitney, who did a lot of westerns, you know, uh, became aware of it. Whitney didn't like it. He couldn't have one of his stars risking injury, so he got on the bullhorn and he called Bob in. Bob wouldn't come in. So Whitney walks all the way out to where the raiding party was <laughs> and found the Native American he thought was Bob and proceeded to tell him what he thought of him. Uh-oh. The, pr- the problem was it wasn't Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Bob was behind the guy on horseback watching the whole thing. And then Bob got tired of watching him berate this kid, so Bob stepped in and told Whitney a thing or two. <laughs> 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 and then Whitney, I think, backed off, and and uh, and that was it, you know. But he he uh, he he was uh, 
he he had a habit of 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 staying active you know he did it in movies too when they you know when they were shooting wagon train they were shooting spartacus uh, uh and bob was uh, doing laramie on the lot at the same time well he did the same thing during his off days he he got dressed up uh, uh in costume and participated in one of the battle scenes in spartacus hmm. <laughs> oh, another time he yeah, another time, I'll tell you this. One time on Larry, he spent a whole morning working with Rod Cameron, who was a good friend of his, and he finished at noon, okay? He was done for the day. So he didn't have enough. He goes back to the set that afternoon, made up with a beard, wearing different clothes and a hat, and he worked alongside Rod Cameron in this barroom scene half the afternoon, and Cameron never knew it, knew it, was, it was Bob Fuller. <laughs> Oh wow! Neither did the neither did the director. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh, those I, are funny stories. Tell me, is television still good for you? I mean, is it? Do you sit back and watch? Uh, well, I don't know. I I. Uh, are I, you I, like I don't me know. and just stick to cable and reruns? No, I mean I watch some of the older shows. I. I <sighs> I don't watch too much uh, network shows. I do watch Blue Bloods because I I enjoy that show. I enjoy the family dynamic, and I I do watch uh, the Law and Order shows. I think that uh, Mariska Haggerty and Chris Maloney are, are wonderful actors, so I I enjoy uh, I watching SVU and uh, and now the rebooted version of Law and Order. Uh, I watch that, and then I watch uh, Chris Maloney's series Organized Crime. And uh, which is also a good show. Uh, th- that's about it. Uh, the rest of the things I watch are on Netflix, movies on Netflix, uh, or Amazon Prime, and sporting events. You know, I'm a football fan and a basketball fan. Ah, uh, so must, yeah. must be so having I a ball watch. right now. Yeah, well, I'm a fan of the 76ers and uh, I'm a fan of the Eagles, you know. Because I grew up in Philly, you so, haven't said Celtics um, yet. And, yeah, and the <laughs> Phillies too. Yeah, no, well, you, you grew up in Philly. You hated the Celtics. You, <laughs> uh, uh, that was a big rivalry, you know. Uh, Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell, and absolutely. But that, that's about it. I don't, um, you know, an occasional good documentary that may be interesting, and <clears throat> some of the new shows. But I, I don't get into the all the other series. Uh, 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 yeah, I have an affinity for the older shows. I don't watch too many of them anymore, but I have an affinity for them because I grew up with those shows, you know. And yeah, I know as that you feeling. said, in the 1950s, the westerns there were so many. There must have been 60 westerns on the air uh, throughout the 50s, or in particular the latter part of the 50s, early 60s. Yeah. And uh, so it was a it was kind of fun for me when I did all these books to. Uh, you know, to 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 get to talk and spend time with a lot of these people I grew up watching, you know, and they were do, very uh, uh, happy to re- revisit the glory days. Do you have any other projects in mind that you're going to work on? In terms of books, no, not really. I no. did two short novels in my in my memoirs. Uh, about acting and, and TV and, and travel and writing TV on Quincy and, and then also, uh, 
traveling and living in in Israel with uh, on a kibbutz for a while with the Israeli folks, and uh, that was fun to do. And the two short novels, I'm, uh, but that's about it. Prior to that, I did you know all the I did eight books on uh, the various uh, TV shows, Route sixty six, which was my favorite. Uh, uh, Naked City. Uh, uh, what else did I do? Adventures in Paradise. Oh wow! I did, Warner Brothers. Yeah, I did uh, Peyton Place, which was a very, very interesting show. Uh, first nighttime soap opera, and then I did uh, I did two Quinn Martin series because uh, The Invaders was a very good show, and my friend uh, for many years Roy Thin has starred in it, so I wanted to do that series. And then I did The Streets of San Francisco. And uh, I, I had access to a lot of the people on the show, and and Michael Douglas in particular was was helpful in contributing, and John Wilder, the producer, and Michael Priest, who directed some shows. Uh, it was um, it, it was uh, it turned out to be a good book, um, and then I did one in Quincy because of my association with the show. Yeah, that's got to be one six, of my uh, six. Uh, that's one of my favorite shows. Quincy yeah, I did six. Yeah, I did Quincy six of those as. Yeah, I did yeah. six as an actor, and I did three as a writer, and I wrote some shows with him personally, so I had a good friendship with Jack. He was a fine guy. So I, I when I look at the people that I befriended, and and I've still stayed in touch with. Uh, Jack is gone now, but uh, Robert Fuller, terrific man, terrific man, wonderful actor. Had such a wonderful career. Uh, well, I got to tell uh, you, Denny Miller, yeah, was a terrific guy. Uh, Donna Winter became a good friend. Deborah Paget, uh, nice people. Rosemary Forsyth, very nice lady. Yeah, you know, I was very uh, Annie Helm. I mean, it, it was very fortunate, um, very fortunate, and. Uh, it was very rewarding. And some of the directors too, you know, Michael Priest is a great guy. He's still around. And yeah, well, I'm very happy I did the books because a lot of those people are no longer here now. Well, I'll tell you, it's always fascinating to sit down and talk to you. I mean, <laughs> the first time we ever talked and we didn't record anything, we must've talked for an hour, an hour and a half. So uh, I did. Yeah. Boy. So you're always, you're always a great guy to talk to and, you're a great source of information, and I really enjoy it. And uh, Wagon Train is available for purchase online, too, as well. Yeah, I, I always get the revised edition. That's the best one, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen. Yeah, well, thank you. Bless your heart for having me back, and uh, and I hope Morgan is doing well. He's also a prince of a man, and uh, yep, uh, he is. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll... We'll continue. I'm trying to, this one book that I wrote, Butterfly, I'm trying to get a movie made of it. So I've been in touch with a lot of production companies. It's a very good story. And I think now with the streaming services, uh, it gives you hope because it's no longer just trying to raise money to do a low budget film and having it end up in an art house, which nobody goes to see. And it reaches a dead end. Now, if you can raise the money and get, get it done, you you stand a chance, a good chance of getting it, uh, if it's a good film, getting it on uh, Netflix or Amazon Prime or Apple TV or Hulu. 
you know, and, and yeah. millions of people get to see it. So I'm not saying it makes it, uh, makes it any easier if you want to be realistic, but it gives one hope. And let's let's lay in. At least you get it. Maybe you get into Fenway Park, and you're up in the in the peanut gallery in the bleachers. But you're inside Fenway Park, you know. And then the next yep. step is to move closer down to the infield. Yeah. How's, how's that? How's that analogy? I used to do that when I was in college. Yeah. Well, there you go. I'd get in and get in the bleachers, and then if there were empty seats down below, we'd always move there. But that's a little mm. harder to do that these days. Well, but listen. So that's a it's a good analogy, isn't it? Yeah, to the oh, film yeah. industry. Yeah, great one. Yeah. But you know, yeah. it, it you know uh, as long as you're creating and and uh, and involved in what you're doing and and have that inspiration, you know, Jack Klugman used to say to me, uh, uh, if if you're an inspired performer, that's um, that's the bottom line, you know. Yep. Because without inspiration. Uh, and the energy and enthusiasm to do something as an actor or a writer and, and, and pursue that, uh, you might as well do something else. Right. Well, listen, I thank you again for taking some time to join us. Uh, you're, you're welcome. You're, you're a great guy to talk to and a great inspiration for me because all I have to do is say hello and sit back. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've been a good friend, Ken bless you. And, uh, and you you and the missus and, uh, uh, thanks, thanks to my, my, your producer Monique, very nice lady, and yep. uh, uh, happy springtime. You too, and that will do it for this edition of City Talk. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening to another great conversation with Ken Meyer and friends. You can contact Ken by email. The address is kjmeyer7 at gmail dot com. That's k j m e y e r seven at gmail.com. Tune in next time for more conversation with Ken Meyer on City Talk.